morning, church. How are we? Awesome. It's exciting to be here today. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Joey. I'm the lead pastor here, and I want to say welcome to our guests. We have a philosophy here at Vertical Life Church. We believe everyone matters to God. Everyone. And so we're thankful that you've spent some time with us here today because you matter. You matter not just to God in heaven and your heavenly Father, but you matter to us as his children. And so we hope that your time with us today is an encouragement to you. And um, uh, if you have not already, on your way out, please stop by the VIP table. They have a gift for you. It's kind of just saying thank you for uh, coming and spending some time with us today. Uh, it's our swag bag. It's got like coffee cup and some other cool stuff in there that you definitely want to take advantage of and some information about our church. Uh, this week, uh, we're going to kind of continue but also take a pause in our current sermon series. We've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, calling it the, uh, the Confession of a Sinner, simply because Matthew, the disciple of Christ, one of the 12 apostles, had a, a uh, job, he had an occupation that was unseemly. That in his day and age, it'd be the equivalent to one of the under the table or, or what we would call disreputable jobs in our culture. Uh, he was a tax collector. He was basically a, a professional betrayer of his own people. It, it wasn't a, a job that was well respected, even though he made a lot of money. And so he was, he was cast out. He was excluded, exiled from Jewish society simply because he had aligned himself with the Roman government. And so here we have a man whose life was radically transformed through an encounter with Jesus Christ. It's funny because Jesus has that effect on people. When you encounter the love of Christ, when you see who he sees you, uh, that you are, not, not how you think you are, but what you see through the lens of God and his love for you, how you see yourself, it changes your life. To see that you are desperately loved by the God of heaven. There's, there's no way to really define that. And so uh, here Matthew, as he's following Jesus Christ, as he is um, watching him perform miracles and listening to the, the messages and the stories that he tells, he's recording this for us. And uh, last week we talked about the importance of walking in our spiritual gifting. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the minute you place your faith and trust in Christ, his Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you gives you new life. That's what it means to be born again. And as the Spirit lives inside of you, He gives you a spiritual gift. Not just for fun or to say, hey, I got a gift, but it, it's on purpose. It's to help you build the church and uh, advance the kingdom of God because we are at war with another kingdom. We are at war with the kingdom of Satan, our enemy. And so Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit so that we are, as his followers, empowered to advance the kingdom of God and take back the ground the enemy has stolen through sin and temptation. The Holy Spirit is the gift to all who believe, all believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is also the same one that empowers the faith of believers. But the Holy Spirit isn't the only gift that Jesus has given the church. And oftentimes when we think about that, we think of the Spirit, but it isn't the only gift. Just as Jesus chose 12 disciples to kind of lead the charge before his death and resurrection, now in the age of the church, since the church was formed on the day of Pentecost, he's also called other men to lead the charge as shepherds of the church. Paul the Apostle to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, he makes this statement. He says, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. 
And Jesus Christ gives these gifts to the church for a specific reason. Verse 12, he says, Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. And so uh, today we are going to kind of pause our Matthew series and not go directly into the next chapter. But we're going to discuss something that I think ties directly to what we've been discussing over the last couple of weeks. Today we're introducing, again, something new. This year is kind of a, a year of newness, of new things. And this new thing is something I believe is an exciting next step in the life of our church. It's a way for some of you to begin walking in your gifting or maybe even a new calling this year. Uh, before we launched our church on April the 20th or 20th, 2014, uh, we, uh, we fully uh, dedicated our church and united as a church body. But when we launched our church in 2014, we had roughly 30 charter members or, or original members of our church with about 30 to 45, sometimes more, uh, regular attenders that would meet on a weekly basis before we launched publicly at the school. And uh, as well, on our leadership team, we had four elders on our leadership team. And since day one of our official launch back in 2014, we've maintained an average attendance weekly of about 80 to 100 per week. And uh, we're about to celebrate our second official year coming up on April 20th. That's exciting because if you know anything about church planting, you know that the average church plant fails within the first two years. So the fact that we're getting to April 20th, that is big news for us. We are overcoming that hump and that statistic. God is continuing, yes, I think that's something worth to celebrate. Um, but as we are approaching our second year, it's exciting because we've added 14 new members, new team members to our church for a total of 44 covenant team members of Vertical Life Church. That's amazing. You see, God is adding to our uh, church. Uh, when we first launched as the leadership team, we divided all the administrative um, uh, responsibilities of the elders evenly. We, we and our wives also headed up most of our ministries because we were small. We were able to do that. But now as we've grown, we've kind of gotten to the point that there's more to do than what we can handle effectively on our own uh, as a quartet. So this year, as we've been discussing what is God asking us to do and where is he leading us this year as the leaders of Vertical Life Church, we believe God has led us to add another member to our elder uh, team, our, our leadership team. Our, our mission at Vertical Life Church, we say this an awful lot because we want it to stick in the hearts of all of our people, is that our mission at Vertical Life Church is to engage people where they are and lead them to becoming fully developed followers of Jesus Christ. The first part of our mission directs us to be ministering to people whatever stage of life they're at whether they're a new believer or whether they're far from God and have no relationship with Jesus Christ. Wherever they are, that first part of our mission directs us to be engaging and ministering to those in our community. But the second part of our mission directs us to be raising people up into spiritual maturity, and that also means developing leaders, developing those that can continue the ministry that Jesus Christ set out to, uh, uh, for the church. And so we're going to launch an effort to focus on that second part of our mission statement this year on a semi-small scale by raising up one of our men into spiritual leadership into our church. Now, in our bylaws, the, these are the official governmental documents every organization has to have, uh, not necessarily every church, but every uh, nonprofit organization. In our bylaws, we've set uh, kind of a definition of what an elder is and uh, what we've done is we've defined two different positions within our elder board. We have 
elders that we uh, call senior elders, and we have junior elders. And I want to make a distinction for you today about what these two different positions are. Senior elders in general are men that who biblically have felt the call of God into spiritual leadership. Those that believe God is raising them up to, to be pastors and teachers and, and to help lead the church. And for us here at Vertical Life Church, they are those in whom I believe as your lead pastor will not only help support the mission and vision of Vertical Life Church, but they're also someone I believe God has led to us, specifically called to help me administer the physical and spiritual needs of our organization. And so these are our uh, senior elders, and they're more of a, a permanent basis. These individuals are appointed by me directly and serve at such capacity until God leads them in another direction to another ministry or some life situation prevents us from continuing to do ministry together. And I'll give you an example. Jason Tanner, I don't believe he's in here right now. He's uh, meeting with our youth at this point, but he's our youth pastor. He has felt the call of God and he's answered the call of God, accepted to pastor our future leaders, those that we're raising up to uh, continue on uh, into church leadership, our next generation. All of our youth we see as leaders of the church, just not quite yet. He oversees youth ministries, specifically high school and junior high, but he also provides some assistance and oversight to our V-Life Kids ministries as well. Uh, Luke... He's a guy running our soundboard. He's our pastor of discipleship. He's accepted God's call to help aid our people in spiritual growth. He's over all of our life groups, our small group ministry. He's tasked with identifying curriculum, with training new leaders, mobilizing those groups to minister their local communities and, and to build godly relationships within their group. Kevin is our pastor of assimilation. He is the, the guy back here on the bass. He also plays the saxophone. You'll see him running around with his very distressed look on his face because he's got a lot to do each and every week. But he's accepted God's call to be our pastor of assimilation, which is basically he's tasked with creating an engaging environment here at our church that promotes first-time guests into full-fledged covenant members of our church to uh, find out what their needs are and to get them connected into what God is doing here. And as a part of that, he works with uh, different ministries to help people uh, find their fit. These are the main administrative areas of the elders currently. And we as also elders are also leaders. We've been overseeing and involved in many other areas of our ministry as well. Jason takes care of our ushers and our announcements. Uh, Kristen, his wife, is involved with our worship team and also the nursery. Luke runs our sound, organizes our setup teams, and Amy leads a ladies' life group and organizes meals for those who have babies or, or have, uh, have needs of uh, meals provided um, Kevin is on our praise team. He sets up all of our outdoor signage. He supervises our host teams, uh, not to mention is our treasurer and record keeper for all the church. His wife, Julia, runs our nursery. Um, these guys are uber busy every week, week in and week out. I, um, as well, oversee the entire ministry to work and support each of the ministry areas. I provide vision and oversight, lead the worship team, share the board of elders, preach weekly, update our website, uh, update our Facebook page. My wife is involved in the, the worship team and runs our kids' ministry. Um, so needless to say, we all have a lot to do each and every week. And this is a challenge for us because we, for the most part, all of us work at least 40 hours plus a week. So on top of our church responsibilities, we have other jobs. And so the workload hasn't been able to get the attention to keep up the momentum and focus where we believe God is leading the church. And so I believe everyone's been doing a fantastic job. Everyone's been doing an incredible job with what God has given them. But because this ministry can't be our only focus right now, some things tend to and have 
slip through the cracks. They just, they have to. There's not time to get to everything. And so it's been my belief, something God's been laying on my heart, as well as our elders agree, it's time to raise up more leaders in the church. And so we're going to open a junior elder position this year on the Council of Elders. Junior elders aren't permanent positions like senior elders. They are appointed for a limited term. They're non-voting members of the council, and simply because this way we can rotate different people in and out of the council on a regular basis to keep things fresh, as well as to keep a close connection and pulse to what is going on within our church. Junior elders are treated with the same respect and care as a senior elder, but they sit on the council in an advisory capacity. This way we can kind of show them the ropes, how we do things, mentor them, and get them introduced into our organizational culture. Uh, for those of you that have worked any kind of career, you know what happens when there's an unhealthy organizational culture at your job. When the managers aren't on the same page, where the, the employees and the, and, the, and the oversight committees aren't on the same page, dysfunction and things happen. And so organizational culture is vital, and that's why we're bringing them in on an advisory basis. If your leaders aren't in unity, especially in the church, there will be disunity in the church. And so as we work with junior elders, we'll be leading them into the foundational principles that guide our decisions so they can fully assimilate uh, into our leadership structure and support where God is leading us as a church. As we seek to maintain God's will for our church, the junior elders will be assigned an area of ministry to help supervise based on their gifting and interest level. And we'll also be encouraged to attend leadership training to foster healthy growth at that capacity. And junior elders are very important. They are, at least to my heart, because through this process, I believe there's great possibility and great potential that someone may realize God's true calling for their life. Someone who may feel like they are stuck, that this is just, they, they've reached a place in their life where nothing can change, but maybe a long time ago, they felt like God was calling them to do something, and they just kind of pushed that back in their life, and, and now they're at a place where they just feel like this is, this is what they're going to do until God calls them home. There might be one person like that who failed to step up when God called them, who now may have an opportunity to revisit that calling and realize that God's not done with them, that God's not through with them, that God has a purpose and plan for their life, and God can still use them right now where they are because our desire and our passion for our ministry is to raise up strong leaders to lead the church into the next generation and to help us to make a big impact in our community. And I believe God is going to increase our ministry one day where we will be planting churches. How exciting will that be? where we can't contain the, the people in this room, where we have multiple services, and now we have to look at launching other ministries. That is a day I, I cannot wait for. But as we grow, those junior elders, those that have been raised up in our leadership structure, very well may be the ones that get planted in those campuses to be the administrators and leaders of those churches. So it's a, it's a cycle, it's a process that we want to begin now in our infancy in our ministry. Now with that being said, we need to be very clear because we are, we're a Bible church, right? Everything that we do, we want to be biblically based. Not everyone can be or should be an elder. I've been involved in ministries where whoever wanted to volunteer for the position got it. That, that's not the way God intends for that to go down. James chapter 3 verse 1 the ESV uh, records the, the word of the Lord this way. James says this. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. It's hard enough just trying to live the Christian life as a normal Christian, right? 
when you become an elder or a teacher or someone with authority in the church, you get underneath the lens of God's microscope, right? This isn't something that should just be taken willy-nilly. When it comes to the organizational structure in the church, we have really two basic positions, traditional positions in Scripture. Uh, both positions have their descriptions of their duties right in the very definitions of their names. In uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, the Apostle Paul to the church of Philippi writes this. It says, This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and the deacons. This is your typical, traditional, organizational structure in the church. If you go to any church, you'll probably have elders and deacons. And maybe, and they may go by different names, but typically these are the two roles. The two official positions in the Bible for the church are elder and deacon. When you look at the scripture, both positions are meant for two very different reasons. And this is where a lot of dysfunction happens in churches. Deacon, the name deacon, the very word back into the original Greek language, literally means servant. Servant. They were appointed in the book of Acts to serve the widows because the Greek widows were being neglected um, over the, Jew, uh, the Jewish widows. There was this division happening. And so these deacons were cho chosen to make sure everyone had their needs met and served. They were literally servants. They aided the elders by doing the day-to-day -day work of the ministry uh, because the elders were getting distracted from what God had called them to do, which was to pray, teach, and lead. In our day and age, the position of deacon in many churches has been perverted into a position of authority, where nowadays to be a deacon is to be a member of a board of directors, as if the pastor or elder reported to the board. And we have to remember we are not a business. We are a church. So we do things biblically, not corporately. Deacons biblically serve the people in place of the pastors so the pastors can focus on the ministry that God has called them to specifically. We currently do not have any deacons because there's not been a, necessary, a necessity for them. But just as we're launching this phase of our church, as we grow, we'll launch the next phase, which will be adding deacons to take over a lot of the day-to-day -day functions of the church. Deacons will be responsible for member care, like hospital visits, follow-up, hospitality, even be point people in some ministries uh, for certain occasions, uh, because deacon means servant, and so those will be chosen to serve as representations of the uh, Council of Elders. Now, the term elder in the original language literally means overseer. It's by definition is what it means. The name is synonymous with terms like bishop, teacher, and pastor. They all reference the very same position. Elders are charged biblically with the administration, teaching, training, and protection of the church of God. In 1 Peter 5.5, 5, uh, we see Peter show the, that eldership implies authority. He says, in the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 is an admonition to the elders. We see elders being an authority. It says, so guard yourselves in God's people, feed and shepherd God's flock, his church purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. It's in, in, uh, important to note the church does not appoint the elders. The Holy Spirit does. The church mainly agrees with God over who the elders are. This is a spiritual thing that happens through the calling of God. In Acts chapter 13, we see the Holy Spirit call men into spiritual leadership. It's recognized through the appointment of other elders already in place in the, by signifying of laying on of hands. Acts 13 
uh, 2 and 3. It says, One day these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, Dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. This is something God does. God raises up leaders. God raises up elders. God raises up the spiritual authority of the church. And the church simply ratifies or acknowledges their calling. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, speaks of elders having responsibility over the whole flock. Uh, it writes this, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. So the scripture is very clear as you look through the entire New Testament. To whom has the administrative duty of the church? It's not the deacon. It is the elder. Not only are they responsible for the church, but right here in Hebrews 13, 17 says, pastors or elders are accountable to God for the souls of everyone in their congregation. That is a heavy weight. That is not to be taken lightly. There is a higher standard that God holds his elders to than the rest of the church. That's why not everyone should be an elder. That's not why everyone can be. Uh, that is why only being an elder, it, it's a great responsibility, but it's also a great and high honor to be selected by God and, and acknowledged or, or recognized by the church that you've been called to this ministry. It is a high honor and one worthy of respect. Our key verse today is found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Paul writing to Timothy, he says this, This is a trustworthy saying, if someone aspires to be an elder, he desires an honorable position. We're talking about the honor of eldership today. That word honorable means good, admirable, and my favorite word to speak of this definition, the word honorable means precious. This is a precious position. 1 Timothy 5, 17, Paul tells Timothy that elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard both at preaching and teaching. And I know the moment you start talking about money in the church, people go, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, what are we doing talking about paying people well? You're just trying to get a raise. No, I'm not trying to get a raise. Okay, this is not my intention. Here, I believe that God will supply all of my needs. We have a generous church, and when the time comes for me to be full-time, it will happen. So don't get the wrong context here, okay? But Paul says here that pastors um, are supposed to be paid well. In the original language, it means double honor. Literally, it means take, take the equivalent position to that job in secular society, times that paycheck by two, and that's about right, is what Paul is basically saying here. And we have to ask ourselves, why? Why does a pastor or an elder deserve double honor? It's because it's an honorable position with a grave responsibility. You don't pay the president of the United States minimum wage. You just don't, right? You, we, he has a wage that fits his uh, position. And the same is true for an elder. It's because it's an honorable position with a grave responsibility, a responsibility that all of the men of God should aspire to, but not all men of God are called to. And I'm not saying this, again, as a ploy to, to increase, uh, you know, our finances in any way. It's just important that we as a church have a healthy view of eldership, have a high view of eldership. Because not only what it means for those in the position, 
but also for those who are under the ministry of an elder, those who are under the ministry of someone that God has called to lead. Because many people, many churches, and I've had this experience, not very many people have a healthy view of eldership. Some believe elders are employees of the church that are there to uh, just simply serve the church at their beck and call. That is not what an elder is for. Elders are not errand boys. Elders don't do what they do because they get paid. Elders do what they do because they are called. Because they're called of God. It's something they have to do because God has led them to do it. And I know this to be true for our church because we all started without pay. So this is something that we're living in off the very pages of the scripture. Some believe the church membership has authority over the elders and it's their duty to oppose them when they disagree and or overthrow them when they don't like their leadership. And we have uh, stories in the scripture, specifically in the Old Testament, that speaks to what happens in a people, in a group, when you have a poor view of your spiritual leadership. Numbers chapter 16 Beginning in verse 1, this is talking about Korah's rebellion. It says, One day Korah, son of Ishar, a descendant of Kohath, son of Levi, conspired with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, on and on, son of Peleth, from the tribe of Reuben. They incited a rebellion against Moses, along with 250 other leaders of the community, all prominent members of the assembly. They united against Moses and Aaron and said, You've gone too far. The whole community of Israel has been set apart by the Lord, and he is with all of us. What right do you have to act as though you are greater than the rest of the Lord's people? When Moses heard what they were saying, he fell face down on the ground. Then he said to Korah and his followers, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show us who belongs to him and who is holy. The Lord will allow only those who he selects to enter his own presence." Korah, you and all your followers must prepare your incense burners. Light fires in them tomorrow and burn incense before the Lord. Then we will see whom the Lord chooses as his holy one. You Levites are the ones who have gone too far. Then Moses spoke again to Korah and says, Now listen, you Levites, does it seem insignificant to you that the God of Israel has chosen you from among all the community of Israel to be near him so you can serve in the Lord's tabernacle and stand before the people to minister to them? Korah, he has already given the special ministry to you and your fellow Levites. Are you now demanding the priesthood as well? The Lord is the one you and your followers are really revolting against. For who is Aaron that you are complaining about him? We have this back and forth between those that were uh, in the tribe of Levi and those who were uh, riled up against Moses and Aaron's leadership. And the key verse here is in verse 11 where Moses says that the Lord is the one you and your followers are really revolting against. So even though people were battling against Moses and Aaron, that was the, the person they were having the struggle with because God called Moses and Aaron, appointed them to lead the nation. A move against those men is also considered a move against God. And later on in the passage, if you keep reading, you see the, the kind of the battle, the confrontation that takes place and the result of what happens when the people of God fight against the Lord's anointed. The fastest way to take God's hand of blessing off of your church is to create disunity and fight against the leaders and elders of the church. Because eldership is an honorable position. The honor of eldership is not only something we should hold in high regard, but it's also something God holds in high regard. We live in a world today where everyone has to win. Everyone has to have a trophy at the end of the competition. Everyone has to always have everything fair and even. And many people believe that since they're a church member, they should also have an equal say to the control of what goes on in the church. But that is not the case biblically. As believers in Christ, we trust God to bring us the leaders 
that we need. We submit to those leaders he puts over us and trust that through their leadership, God is leading us to the next phase in our spiritual journey. As we submit to our leaders, we are really submitting to Christ. And as we honor our leaders, we are really honoring Christ. So at Vertical Life Church, we're going to trust in the leadership that God appoints into eldership now and 100 years from now. This is something that we want to continue on so that God's hand of blessing is on our church. But just as James said, not everyone should be an elder. Not everyone can be an elder. And God lays out some guidelines for those who are worthy to be an elder in the scripture. Paul tells Timothy and also Titus in his letters to them clear instructions about who qualifies as an elder. Uh, to Timothy, he writes in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, he says, This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be an elder, he desires an honorable position. So an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. This doesn't mean a perfect person. There are no perfect people. There's not a person in this room that's without sin. What this means is that this man is living a repentant life. He's recognizing where his sin is, and he repents of that. He turns away from that and pursues God in his life. He's striving to honor God in every way, in public and in private. This is our core value of wholehearted worship. This is something that we're asking of all of our people to strive to live for. Uh, continues, he says, he must be faithful to his wife. This means he's not an adulterer with his eyes or with his body. He's not an irresponsible provider. He's not lazy or setting a bad example at home for his family. Paul says he must exercise self-control, which means he's not impulsive. He's not abrasive. He doesn't exhibit an addictive personality or allow himself to be addicted to different substances. Paul says he lives wisely, which means he must not be foolish, not financially foolish or immature in his decision-making. He must have a good reputation. He must be, be spoken well of in the community. He must not have a bad reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home. It means he has a heart of hospitality. He loves people, serve people. He must be able to teach. It means he needs to be knowledgeable of the word of God and confident and sound in, in, in his doctrine. He must exhibit the, the gift of, of teaching, the spiritual gift of teaching, and show a passionate desire to mentor others in the truth. Verse 3, he must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome. He must not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? And Paul tells Titus, he says it this way to Titus in Titus 1.6. He says, an elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife. And his children must be believers who don't have a reputation of being wild or rebellious. And you might think that's kind of strange. Well, what, what do his kids, you know, have to, uh, you know, matter in the determination of his qualification? And it's simple. If your home life is out of order, where's your focus going to be? Where's your focus going to be? Not to mention, if you've failed in the first ministry that God has called you to, which is husband and father, what makes you think you'll qualify in the second ministry, right? It's home life is very important. Not only if you have a, a home life that's out of order, do you only show a lack of leadership at home, but you also will not have the focus you need to administer God's church honorably with the delicate attention that it needs. So home life is very important. And if you are only partially in it, if you're only partially in the ministry because of the dysfunction and discord at home, you will stand before God and give an account for the results of your failure to lead well, both in the home and in his church. So again, James was right. This is not something to be taken lightly. This is, this is a high honor, but it's also a grave 
responsibility. 1 Timothy 3, verse 6 says an elder must not be a new believer, which means he can't be someone who's recently begun a relationship with Jesus because he might become proud, like, oh, look at me. I, I, I'm now a leader. I've risen up to leadership. And that pride, uh, Paul says, gives the devil an opportunity to make him fall. People outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. Uh, last week we saw the devil's plan was to steal, kill, and destroy. And for elders specifically, it's zeroed in on his ability to effectively minister. Uh, a year or so ago, there's um, all over the internet, all over the news, was a story about a man named Mark Driscoll. He was uh, the church planner and founder of a church in Seattle, Washington called Mars Hill. Uh, one of my you know, favorite guys to listen to. I, I learned a lot and grew a lot under uh, his ministry through some of the books I've read and, and sermon series I've, I've studied through him. And so, uh, you know, I, I followed him quite frequently. But when Mark first came to ministry, he wasn't, he hadn't been a Christian that long. He was saved, God called him, and he just went right to work. And early on in his ministry, he made some really immature and really sinful decisions. And he had repented of those things. He'd asked forgiveness of those things. But some 10 years later, all of that resurfaced, and he had to resign his church. He had to resign his uh, church planning network, and now um, he's trying to minister somewhere in Arizona in, in an unknown place in an unknown location. You know, it's a, a church that was one of the fastest-growing churches in America, one of the most innovative churches in America, touted by several different magazines, no longer exists because of some immature decisions that were made as a new um, person to the body of Christ entered into spiritual leadership. So it's important that a elder is not a new Christian. Elders should be wise men who are not immature, quick-tempered. They're not prideful or self-glorifying. And the Apostle Peter, he has a word to, to elders in 1 Peter chapter 5, kind of a, a word of encouragement and admonition. He says this, he says, now a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. As elders... We lead the church by serving the church. This is the example that Christ gave when he was alive here on the earth. He was the Lord of all creation, but yet he served those that he was ministering to. And we serve the church not to make our name famous, but to glorify Jesus Christ. An elder shouldn't be self-seeking, shouldn't be narcissistic, shouldn't be a control freak, because it's an honor and a privilege to be called into this ministry. Our job is to equip the people to go and do the work of the ministry according to their calling and their gifting. It's a great honor to be able to dedicate someone's life or one's life. And if God wills, even in time, be fully supported by the church in order to live out that calling that he's placed on your life. There is no greater occupation in the world than to be solely focused on seeing people begin and grow in the relationship with Jesus Christ. There's nothing more rewarding because our work has eternal benefits and eternal rewards. This is one of the best and most amazing things that you could be called to as a follower of Christ. And so today as we're talking about the honor or the, the honorable position of eldership, we're introducing this new phase into the life of our church. And we want to encourage you to prayerfully consider who you feel would make a godly elder according to what we see in the Word of God.
as we continue to grow in the next phase, we'll, we'll talk about appointing deacons and uh, to relieve the elders of some of our duties of the day-to-day -day activities. But for today, um, we are focused on eldership. And so to build some context around what we're about to do, and this is going to be something we're going to do over the next month, in Acts chapter 1, we see the story of the disciples after Christ ascended into heaven. Judas, who had betrayed Jesus, had killed himself. The, the once 12-member group of disciples now were 11, and they needed to replace Judas. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 12, it says this. It says, The apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of a half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here the names of, the, of those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brother of Jesus. During this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit, speaking through King David. Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. If you skip down to verse 20, it says, Peter continued, it says, This was written in the book of Psalms where it says, Let his home become desolate with no one living in it. And it also says, Let someone else take his position. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus. From the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us, whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. They all prayed, O Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry, for he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other eleven. So the eleven apostles, the eleven disciples that were left, and the women that were with them gathered for prayer. Soon they were accompanied by a larger group, about 120 of them in total. And out of that group, only two men were chosen. Two men were chosen to be uh, candidates for this position. And then the apostles, again, together with those two names, they sought God's will for who would be chosen. When God's will was determined, the chosen party was appointed to replace Judas. And from that point on in Scripture, you see the apostles go out and appoint elders directly to lead the churches that they commission um, to appoint. In Titus chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says this to Titus. He says, I left you on the island of Crete so that you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town as I have instructed you. So from the time all of the apostles were completed, they went out and they appointed the elders for the churches. And so based upon what we see in Scripture, we've patterned our approach to eldership and church leadership this way, that the elders appoint the elders. But as a lead pastor of the church, um, I feel that we want to bring you all in in the um, choosing of our junior elders. And so we've created and approved a process to open the door for that leadership training and allow our church to partner with us in that process. Our official uh, elder recommendation policy that our council created and approved is as follows. Um, the senior elders, again, are long-term positions that are appointed directly by the lead pastor. But our junior elders are short-term advisors to the elder board. They're non-voting, and they serve a two-year minimum, two-year minimum commitment, and a maximum of four years with one-year break after that four-year period. That way we're always bringing in new people. The Council of Elders will seek recommendations from the church body every year as a general policy, but depending on need, we may postpone that uh, recommendation uh, reception until the following year. 
If we don't grow to the point where we need more administrators, then we may postpone it. Each uh, of our covenant team members will be asked to prayerfully consider his or her recommendations based on a couple of criteria. Number one, that the elder that you are choosing meets all the qualifications and guidelines in our bylaws and well as scripture. And if you didn't know, they are one and the same. Number two, that they show initiative and passion for the ministry. We don't want to choose someone who has to be asked to get involved. We want to seek uh, someone who is already um, out there serving because God has led them to uh, this church and is faithfully serving and passionate for the ministry here at Vertical Life Church. So um, we want to make sure that we are choosing those who are already uh, working according to their calling. Also, the man has to be an official team member of Vertical Life Church. He's gone through our membership process and is in good standing. They're not in any form of disciplinary proceedings or in a stage of life that would make it difficult to commit to the responsibility. So after 30 days of t from today, um, or 30 days from the commission to pray, our church will be asked to put forth their recommendations to the Council of Elders of who they believe should occupy this position. We're going to ask you to choose two names. Um, if the person recommended desires and accepts the honor and responsibility to serve at that capacity, they'll be considered for the appointment. At that time, the, the Council of Elders will take the names that were recommended, and we will interview those to determine whether or not they wish to accept the position. And uh, once we've interviewed everyone and we've prayed through who God believe, we believe God is leading us to appoint as the junior elder, then we will appoint them and present them to the church. The junior elder will be responsible for leading a ministry either as a life group leader or another ministry working toward raising up other leaders within the ministry according to the vision of our church. So today, each of you, as you walked in through the door, should have received a booklet. Do you have those booklets with you? All right. These booklets outline the biblical mandates and qualifications of an elder. And what we're going to ask you to do is take this home with you, and for the next 30 days, we're going to ask you to pray through who you believe God is leading to raise up in our church according to this criteria. And, uh, and as you read through, you can use this as, as a way to guide your prayer. We're going to invite you to use this booklet to guide you as you pray, to seek the Holy Spirit's guidance on who should be selected. And as you pray, ask the Holy Spirit to guide your thoughts. Guide your thoughts to who he is appointing for this purpose. And when you believe you know who he's leading you to, to recommend, Pray for that person. Pray for blessing on their life. Pray for wisdom and pray for their protection against the enemy. Because this is, again, not just a high honor, but a grave responsibility. And uh, our recommendation Sunday will be February the 28th. That's four weeks from today. And on that day, we will ask you to indicate the names that you've uh, been led to choose for the, and place those on a ballot that we will provide you. And uh, we will begin that process of raising up that leader. This process, I believe, is going to be an exciting step as we work to not just engage people where they are, but lead them to becoming fully developed followers of Jesus Christ, to see our ministry grow, and to see what God can do through the ministry as people are accepting the call for their lives. And I'm excited about this new year. I'm excited about this process and to see what God is going to be doing in our lives and through our church. Um, and uh, I hope you are too. Um, let's uh, close together and let's pray. We're going to ask Jason to come up and deliver some of our announcements. Father in heaven, Lord, as we uh, look at the honor of eldership, God, I know that this can be scary because you look at that list and the qualifications and 
I know, you know, as a, just a human being, sometimes we look and we're so self-defeating. But God, you know who you've chosen for this position. You know, you've, you've planned this from a long time ago, before many, many of us were even born. You knew who was gonna be raised up. God, so I pray for that person now in Jesus' name. God, I pray for all of our men. All of our men, no matter where they are with their relationship with God. God, I pray that you begin working in their hearts, raising up their faith. God, strengthening their, their ministries at home as they lead their families to honor and glorify you. God, as they work in, in the church and in their communities to lead people to Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would raise up some godly men to help lead this ministry. God, and as we pray through this, this, uh, this month, Lord, that you would help us to be in unity over who that individual is. God, as the elders contemplate and interview and, and speak to the different people recommended, God, that you would lead us to the right person, that there'd be clarity and unity in that decision, and that we can all rejoice as the next one is chosen to help us lead this organization. Lord, to help lead your church to make a big impact in this community. God, there's so many people hurting in the surrounding areas, so many things going on that, that need our attention, and we know that we we can't get to them all, God, but you know what's going on. So we, God, we ask that you would raise us up, bless our finances, bless our people, and put us in the right place so that we can um, just preach the name of Jesus. We can advance the kingdom of God as we walk in our gifting and are faithful to you. Lord, we thank you for this time to, today. And we thank you for your word and for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.